This week on Aliens Explored, we will be looking at the life and times of former US Army intelligence officer Philip J. Corso. Some 50-odd years after the event, and shortly before his death, retired Lieutenant Colonel Corso published The Day After Roswell, an expose of the US government's alleged cover-up of the whole saga, in which he alleges that many of the technological innovations we enjoy to this day have been reverse-engineered from that crashed flying saucer. This episode of Aliens Explored is dedicated to Toby Foams, our Explorer of the Week. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Welcome back, listeners, to Aliens Explored, your weekly podcast where we look at ufology, UAPs, ETs, EBEs, and all manner of different kinds of people involved in it all. I am one of your hosts, Stu Jackson. And I am one of your hosts, Neil Kelly. Hello, Neil. How's it going? (laughs) Oh, very well, thank you, Stu. Very well. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Do you know what? Actually, I can hear it in our voices. We're less um, ebullient. Is that that? That's a word, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Effervesc- less ebullient. Eff- effervescent, yeah. Less so effervescent not- than normal. We're not um, bubbly, and uh- I know I certainly am, and uh, and that's because we have. We'll, we'll, do you know? We'll dive straight into this because it, it's it's mm. important information. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a bit of news for our listeners. Now, um, many of our listeners will be aware that currently uh, we have ongoing a a crowdfunder for the Crop Circle documentary um, mm-hmm. that we are going to be making next year. Um, that remains unaffected by this news. However... Um, Neil and I have been discussing, have we not, Neil? Um, we have. We're both getting very, very busy with our careers. Um, and, of course, Aliens Explored, the intention was, uh, we started during lockdown, of course, and that was the idea was a fun thing to do during lockdown, which it certainly was. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, so certainly had the time and we couldn't go anywhere else. That's um, it. But now we're finding we don't quite have the time that we had before so we've we've taken it's been quite a difficult dis, um discussion and decision mm. but we are going to be taking 
a bit of a break from Aliens Explored for a while. Uh, mm. Aren't we, Neil? Um, no, to... not, not with immediate effect. <laughs> no, no. Um... <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't just come on to say, well, that's it, you know, we're done. Um, you know, this, we're giving you notice. We are indeed giving you notice. So we're, we're, there's this episode, um, there is going to be next week's episode, and then after that, uh, we plan to do a final, so this would be basically episode 116, um, a kind of wrap-up chat. Um, hmm. So not about any specific topic, but uh, more of just a, yeah, a kind of wrap-up session, hmm. uh, as one does. Now, we have we have been saying uh, off air, between ourselves very clearly with each hmm. other, we're not saying forever. Um, you know, we the the hope is to come back to this, um, but likewise, we're not going to put a date on it, are we, Neil? We're not what? Sorry, um, um, we're not going to put a date on it to come back. No, no. I mean, as far as for actors, it's it's nice to be busy. It's um, some might say it's unusual to be busy <laughs> in the long term, but we've both got things ongoing or coming up, which is which is nice because it means we're earning a living. That's it. But, and we um, can't predict the future. Um, no. and, but... it's, and and of course, it's not just finding finding time to do it. It's finding time when we both got time to do it, and that's what what is becoming difficult now. Yeah, it's matching time, and from my end as well, it's the editing side of it. There's there's quite it's quite an involved thing doing a podcast mm. as as we've both learned uh, over yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, totally new to it. Um, so there we go. Now, of course, our Patreon uh, that we have running, um, our Patreon members might be curious to know how that's going to be affected. Um, obviously, that will be coming to an end along with the um, the episode. So, yeah, the, mm. uh, the last month that the Patreon will run is October. Uh, mm. So yeah, if you wanted any special uh, items, get in quick. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got long. In fact, no, actually, if you signed up now, it wouldn't come out until November. So yeah, you know you're too late. Uh, mm. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yes, no more, no more new patreons. Uh, mm. So there we go. Um, but yeah, go on. <laughs> this all seems to have come to us a halt very quickly, doesn't it? So well, yeah. it, there's little, little like deaths. That. Yeah, it uh, it feels like that a little bit, but uh, mm. but it's not coming to an immediate halt because we do have certainly today's topic to discuss, um, which is a man very very interesting and connected, of course, with that big old ufology event, Roswell. Um, yes. We're going to be talking about Philip J. Corso. Now, mm. a big question I, I often ask on the show, Neil, had you heard of him beforehand? No. No, I no. had to look him up. Okay. Um, were you When you looked him up, were you surprised you'd not heard of him before? Um, I... I don't think so. I think you'd, you'd have to be quite into, you know, into the whole Roswell thing and have looked into it in some detail and, and 
been au fait with all the different personalities involved. I don't know how peripheral his his involvement was in this. He was an army intelligence officer. Um, like yourself. Yeah. yeah, I think he's a bit more so, sort of longer lasting and higher ranking. Um, well, and, a, and probably yeah. perhaps more wide ranging. He was a lieutenant colonel, wasn't he, in the US Army? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so yeah, he, he's one of those names. I think within ufology circles or within certain circles within ufology, he's a name mm. that kind of everybody knows. The mm. moment you step outside of ufology, nobody's ever heard of him. Um, no. So because we all live in our little echo chambers, mm. because people like me were, were shocked when people haven't heard of him. How can you not have heard of him? He wrote he wrote yes. a book blowing the lid off the whole thing, <laughs> and of course, yeah, people outside ufology are like who? Um, mm. So to give any of our listeners who who perhaps haven't heard of him, um, so we've mentioned he was in the U.S. Army, uh, Lieutenant mm. Colonel. He, he actually served in the U.S. Army uh, for twenty one years, from nineteen forty two. Mm. That's that's long service. Um, no, that's a, that's a normal. Um, in, in the British Army, the standard term of service is twenty-two years for is other it? ranks, but for NCOs, yeah, you would from from age of eighteen, um, you'd serve until you're. No, they wouldn't let you serve more than twenty-two years. So if you join at nineteen or twenty, obviously you serve to um, to forty-one or forty-two years old. But generally, right. you know, it, your service starts from age eighteen. Um, and, it's, and even if you join the army younger, the British Army, British Armed Forces, are unique in developed nations in that we still recruit child soldiers. So we've got 16, 17-year-olds mm. joining. But their service doesn't start until they're 18. Um, and then they will do 22 years. And then there would have to be a special reason for them staying on beyond that. A lot of them do. A lot of them, especially if you know, they join the army as children, they don't know anything else. And you know, the the wider world seems a, a cold and unfriendly place and they just want to stay where they're comfortable. Um, but generally it's only if they've got some sort of speciality or some, some, you know, there have to be special circumstances that allow them to stay on. Officers tend to stay, tend, tend to retire about age 55. Right. Um, and of course all this is dependent upon how you progress through the ranks. If you're 30 years old and a private soldier, they're probably, and you, you go to renew your contract, they're probably going to say, actually, you know, I think we should part ways. Mm. Uh, yeah. when, 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 when times are good, when, they, when they're desperate for anyone they can get. <laughs> I mean, my perception has always been, you know, people spend about five years in the army and that's about it. But no, I mean, when you're saying it like that, it makes sense. And of course, I can see how, uh, certainly people who joined young would want to stay in the army because like I say, you know, mm. the outside world seems like a cold and unfeeling place. And of course these people have been programmed to see civilians as the enemy. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, so civilians yeah. that they're supposed to defend. Yes. They're, they're, know, they are beneath it's... them. They are, they have contempt for them. They're, they're taught um, to be contemptuous of, um, of civilians. And then of course, leaving the army would make them civilians. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I was I was amazed. You know, I, I saw it in the army myself that um, yeah, that there's a guy coming up for retirement, and he was just in denial. He was thinking, "You shouldn't you be doing this, and shouldn't you be doing that?" And he, no, 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 he just he just didn't want to talk about it. And then so he he had a nervous breakdown when the time mm. came. He just uh, yeah, yes. ended up on a, a, a psych ward, and that that happens a lot. 
psychologically helped by civilians cars they're the only ones who are going to help you when you come out i'm very jaded yes. about that whole thing anyway yeah. let's move on we've, we've yes. digressed yeah, so, so he's, he served a normal term of as, i mean he okay. joined the army in, in 1942 so i guess you know a lot of people joined the u.s army in 1942 um because okay. there, there was there was some stuff going on that needed to be done uh, but then, well, I guess like a lot of soldiers decided to stay on, um, went into the Korean War in the early 50s and, yeah, stayed in until, is it 21 years, you say, so 1961? 1963. So 1963, sorry, yeah, I can't count. Yeah. That would be 19 years, <laughs> 1963. 1963. So obviously he, he was around, at, well, Roswell was right after World War II, wasn't it, mm. 1947? It was. Um, so... But some 34 years after he's come out of the military service, he releases a book hmm. uh, co-authored uh, with William J. Burns um, hmm. called The Day After Roswell, where hmm. he talks about his role in particular in looking after um, alien artifacts recovered from the crash. Hmm. Uh, really very, very interesting. Um, and he goes at great lengths in this book he, to talk about this and um, to talk about it at length and how this technology was basically reverse-engineered and introduced into civilian life, and it's from this reverse-engineered technology that we have accelerated particle beam devices, fibre optics, uh, integrated surveys, uh, integrated circuits, and even Kevlar. And lasers. Uh, that would be accelerated particle beam devices. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, right. same thing. <laughs> right. I'm just reading from the list. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... now, 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 all of these things are attributed to human inventors who had nothing to do with, with Roswell, okay. aren't they? As they would be. Hmm. As they would be, yeah. They're not going to say we... Yeah, but what I'm saying is that they didn't all come out of the US military. They came from other places and other countries. Uh, let's have a look Did at... they come from other countries? That's, um, a, that's an interesting claim. O outside of the military, definitely. But then if you're... You know, it, it's often been claimed that a lot of the sort of black budget UFO hmm. stuff uh, that the military have done uh, have been done through third party big corporations. Because if they hmm. say to you, "Okay, you're a you know you're an aviation specialist company, corporate company," you know we're going to get you involved in this. Yes, you'll get to keep all the copyrights and patents and hmm. what have you um, in exchange for understanding this stuff for us yeah that sounds like a good relationship to me but you get the same for individuals as well well i think that there's always a thing um a tendency to to claim claim an invention for yourself i think you know in britain we're taught that television was invented by john logie baird a scotsman i think in america they're taught it was someone else mm. um, um certainly in north korea they're, they're taught that it was it was Kim Il Sung or someone like that, you know, the the dear leader who invented television. The I think the Chinese are told that it was a Chinese invention. So, 
that notwithstanding, I mean, I, I don't think we're, we're as bad as some of these authoritarian dictatorships in claiming that, yes, it was our glorious leader who invented whatever technology has suddenly become available to you that was available to everyone else years ago. I think um, I think most countries are pretty jingoistic in that regard. I remember when I was 16 mm. years old and I was out visiting family in Australia and, mm. and my uncle, who is not Australian, uh, but kind of felt he had to justify his moving out to Australia and shipping his family out there. Um, yeah, he was he was talking about cat's eyes in the road mm. out in Australia. And, uh, and because when he left the UK, they didn't exist. So right. he was in Australia when they were, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, we got these amazing things, these, these cat's mm. eyes in the road. They're absolutely brilliant. Invented by an Australian, you know. No, they weren't. They're, no. <laughs> Uh, believe it was a bloke in Norwich who invented them. I think it was, and it's amazing because I remember, you know, being you know from I, I, I don't remember a time when there weren't cat's eyes on the road in Britain. For our for our foreign listeners, cat's eyes are these little um, fluorescent lumps in in the middle of the road. The lumps um, of glass. Yeah, just reflect they, the which, light which of your reflects. Headlights. Yeah, so yeah. you can actually see the road snaking ahead. And, you know, until I remember you know, when I first drove in, in Europe, when I drove in Germany and Holland, places like that, and they didn't have anything like that. It was really quite disconcerting. Mm. Yeah, you you realise the value of them when, when you, you, they're not there all of a sudden. I remember, um, I remember as a kid taking the cat's eyes out of the road to use them as marbles or something similar. Oh really? You dug them out. Yeah, <laughs> I was a young kid. Um, yeah, so yeah, so the yes, this concept that you know, each country claims they've invented it—that there's nothing mm. new or unusual about that. No, um, but, but the idea that these technologies are reversed engineered off-planet technology, extraterrestrial mm. technology. Yes. Mm. Yes, and, uh, and and that whoever might have claimed to have invented it in whatever country, whether in Germany or, I mean, people were doing experiments with with the conductivity of glass back in the nineteenth century, weren't they? For transmitting light, it was only you know in the nineteen eighties or nineties that it suddenly became a medium for for actually transmitting data as light rather than as yes. magnetic pulses. So there is, I mean, you can definitely see there is a leap in technology. Mm. And certainly, I mean, integrated circuits, mm. you know, integrated circuit chips in particular, absolutely, that was a, a quantum leap in technology. I mean, were it not for those, mm. we wouldn't have pretty much any of the technology we have today. Mm. We'd still be like working with valves. Yeah. Which are, you know. Uh, so we wouldn't have mobile phone technology. We wouldn't have the satellite technology that we have. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't, you know. Oof. It's I, I, I remember, hard to imagine um, the world without yeah, it all now. Something more familiar to our American listeners than, than elsewhere is a cartoon character called Dick Tracy. Mm. In, the, in, the sort of, in, the, in the funny papers, in, in, in the, the comic pages of, of American newspapers. And um, the, these dated back from, I think, the 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember Dick Tracy had a wrist radio 
Mm. It was like, it's like a big watch with an antenna coming out. Yes. And it'd be going, it'd be going, in the cartoon, it'd be you know, this lightning bolt signs that'd be saying, calling Dick Tracy, calling Dick Tracy. And people said, that's impossible. You can't mm-hmm. make a radio that size because in those days, a radio was actually a piece of furniture. It required valves. You could yes. not fit valves into something that would strap to your wrist, the size of a wristwatch. Um, and that's because they were thinking only in terms of the technology of the time. It, it's an argument why you should pay more attention to science fiction writers. Um, not not re- re- disregard science writers, but scientists will look at something from the perspective of what they think is possible based on the technology that they understand. Whereas a science fiction writer is just going to say, well, I don't know how it works, but I'm just going to say that he's got one. Mm. And it does, yeah, imagine you can have that. And of course... A wrist radio is is nothing special today. It would be, be regarded as rather quaint. Well, I I'm, I'm going to say that the really good science fiction writers will come up with ways for them to have worked that might involve mm. technology that we don't have yet. Mm. Um, you know, and Star Trek's the perfect example of that because everything is explained how it all works. It's one mm. of the things I love about it with the, the world building. But I I always used. I mean, it won't surprise any of our listeners who might know that I'm a I'm a devout Trekkie. Um, mm. That I use Star Star Trek as the uh, the example uh, with that when that came out in the sixties. Um, people mm. looked at it and laughed at the idea of doors that open automatically when you walk up to them. That'll mm. never happen in my lifetime, people mm. said. Now go to any supermarket or, mm. you know, it's just an accepted part. So absolutely. So there has been, I mean, yeah, you, this, this for me, this argues the case in favour of what he's saying here uh, because... All these things that we take for granted were an absolute quantum leap in technology. Although, um, when Philip J. Corso wrote his book, which was, when, when was it published? Uh, 1997. So all these things that he's talking about are well, were well established by this time. All, all these, yes, all these inventions. Does he mention any that, um, that are still being worked on? Uh, so I'm going to hold my hand here. I have not read the book myself. No, I haven't read the book. Um, Um, but, um, it's funny. He's saying, oh yeah, all these things that we're used to now, they're reverse engineered alien technology. Well, surely the the extraterrestrials, their their technology went a bit further because obviously we can't, we can't travel between dimensions or intergalactically or whatever, which they can do. Obviously there's some more technology there. That um, obviously we haven't been able to harness. If that's, he, he doesn't mention anything that's, um, you know, we haven't got to grips with. There is, so, or does um, he? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to suggest probably not, mm. um, but I think for a very good reason, because when we th- there is a school of thought that says that reverse engineering any foreign technology mm. depends on it being having some basis of similarity to what you've already got technologically. Um, mm. So take take integrated circuit chips as a, as a perfect example. We had something similar at the time in the terms of valves. Mm. Now, obviously, chips were way more advanced than that. 
No, and with transistors in between. With transistors in between, but it, it gives you a it gives you a grounding in understanding what it is you're looking at. Mm. Now, if you were to show a valve to someone from medieval times, they wouldn't know what to make of it. They wouldn't begin to know how to understand it because they haven't got anything even vaguely similar. Mm. So I'm going to say, yeah, there's probably technology out there, there's probably technology from that crash that is just totally beyond our understanding because we don't have anything similar. Mm. I think a good example would be if you if you tried to dissect a fly to find out how it would, how it worked, and you're trying to look at all the you know, miniature mechanics and everything, and, and when you open it up, all that's in there is goo. Yeah, yeah. Well, how does that work? How does that exactly, exactly? And it might work perfectly well. <laughs> mm, yeah, we we know that a fly flies, but you can't take one apart and work it out how it how it functions. Yeah. Yeah, we'd have to understand, well, hang on, where's its lungs? Where's its digestive mm. system? Where's its this, that, and the other? Where's mm. its brain? Yeah, assuming that it would have to have those things. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good analogy. So, yeah, I would say there are going to be technologies out there that we just don't understand, mm. um, that, that are just too foreign, too alien for us. Now, Corso does go further than just talking about reverse-engineered technology in his book. Mm. Um, he also uh, claims that the Strategic Defense Initiative, Star Wars, you remember that, mm -hmm. um, was designed specifically to counter alien technology. That's not what I remember. No, that was not the public. Um, mm. And and again, I'm going to say, well, no, they're not going to say that publicly, mm. are they? Um, and he but, he did say in this book that we are at war with this alien species. We are at war with them. Yes. Okay. Uh, and and they be they be. <laughs> Beating us hands down if we weren't so far away. Well, this is this we is can, where they I, can get to us, but we can't get to them. This is where I start to so so everything Corso claims in his book up to this point, I can see and I can get on board with and I can accept. Mm. Saying that we are at, in a, in an active conflict with these beings, I really struggle with. Because um, well, if we were, they'd have won. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a military man, and so he will see things through a certain lens, uh, in, in a certain light. You know, um, Military people, their, their, their interest in UFOs is to, well, they're, 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 they're concerned with air defence. Yeah. And one of the biggest worries about UFOs is that it's not some something from another dimension or another planet. But it's um, it's a terrestrial enemy that has suddenly developed technology that enables them to enter your your airspace with impunity. That suddenly yes. the Russians have got planes you can't shoot down that can that can outperform anything you got, or the Chinese have got something. You know that, that's 
that's what military people are worried about. And yeah, the, the, the strategic defence initiative was really about certainly uh, the way it was put at the time was it's going to be a missile shield. Mm. And this was a dangerous time. Remember, this is the 1980s and Ronald Reagan was in the White House and the talk started to get crazy because for generations, or a couple of generations, we talked about nuclear deterrence as mutually assured destruction. No one would be mad enough to start a nuclear war mm. because we'd all just get killed. Um, that's when they started talking about a winnable nuclear war and how we can shoot down um, Russian missiles before they get to us, whereas, whereas ours will be able to get through to them. And one of the things that came out of the SDI was the, the Patriot missile system, which became so famous in, I think it was, yeah, it was the first Gulf War, wasn't it, that they, mm-hmm. they had this system. We can shoot down Saddam Hussein's Scud missiles, um, or we can intercept them, but that was based on a very, very broad understanding of what intercept means. There was a Scud missile that landed on a, uh, landed on a US base and killed a large number of US personnel. Um, well, that missile had already been, in inverted commas, intercepted by a Patriot right. missile. Because you imagine these things are flying at thousands of miles an hour. So you're, you've got the Scud missile coming towards you at thousands of miles an hour. You mm. send up a Patriot missile. And at some point, as it gets near, the Patriot missile has to explode to destroy the the Scud. And if it's not close enough, it it, it might knock it off course. So it might, or it might yes. do nothing. Um, well, apparently that had Patriot had already been fired at this thing, and had and they 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 ticked it off. They said, "Yep, that's been successfully intercepted," even though the Scud missile still hit its target and killed dozens of U.S. Mm. service people. So, but what they were interested in was selling this Patriot missile system to customers around the world. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. a, a yeah you know, the the. All, all our wars are marketing operations. Say, so, look, we've got this technology. How, how do you fancy buying this? Welcome um, to so, a capitalist society. Yeah, that's what we we do. Yeah. So the Patriot, we haven't heard much about, I suppose, Patriot missile systems are probably a bit old hat now. Well, yeah, um, 30 years old. Yeah, but I mean, there were t- there was talk of uh, space-based weapon systems. Mm. Um, there, I know there was a satellite with a nuclear, a nuclear device in it that, and, and a, a sort of series of lenses. So they would detonate the device, which would destroy the satellite. But in the split second before the blast blew it to pieces, the, the nuclear flash would be focused down these lenses and create a deadly beam that could, mm. that could take out a missile. Yes. Um, they invented rail, rail guns, which are, is basically um, an electromagnet. Hmm. And um, it will accelerate anything that's dropped into it. So it will basically fire rounds at a massive, at a phenomenal rate from a satellite to targets on Earth. Hmm. You know, we're seeing the we're seeing this kind of this technology. We are. Uh, and how much of that has come from Roswell? That's the big question. So yeah. there is a there is a final twist in this tale. So yeah, I hmm. I do struggle with with. Corso's um, claim that we are at war, unless and I can see, I can see two possible. One is, as, as I think you were alluding to, as a military man, he sees everything as a threat. Hmm. I, I can a, see a that. potential threat. Yeah, I can see that. But also, I mean, there is the other possibility. It's 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 quite sort of commonly accepted in ufology. There isn't just one alien species. 
visiting the planet. There are, I mm. think it was about 57 people have counted. <laughs> okay. Um, and there may be others protecting us. But you know, even in more recent times, when, when Donald Trump talked about his space force, I, I understood that. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who understood that. So we, we're, we're talking about the militarization of space yes. to fight wars on Earth against terrestrial enemies. But I remember there was General Ashed, is it Jaime Ashed, the Israeli general yeah, and chief scientist, who claimed that Donald Trump had made a contact with the was it the Galactic Alliance or something? That was, uh, yes, that we, the uh, he was the Israeli um, oh, defense minister. Yeah, he was remember. a general. We did talk about him in an episode. We did, yeah. I mean, he was a general and a scientist, um, but he suddenly came down saying, "You know, Donald Trump's making." So, if, if we've so if if um, Philip J. Corso is saying we have enemies from other planets, um, Jaime Ashed is saying we have um, we have potential allies from other planets. Yes, yes. Episode twenty-five. If you go back and listen, listeners. No. Uh, episode twenty-five. That one. Yeah, um, so I can see that as a possibility as well. But I, mm. I do struggle with the the idea that that there's this alien civilization out to wipe us out or enslave mm. us or whatever. Because I think, yeah, if that <laughs> it would have happened, <laughs> we, yeah. we'd already be in that situation. But hey, I might be wrong. But there is a, there is a further and and final twist to the tale with Philip J. Corso. So we've said 34 years after he left the military, he, he publishes this book, this hmm. whistleblowing account of hmm. Roswell, or, or rather of the technology taken from the ship that he was responsible for, that he looked hmm. after. Um, and then a year later, he dies of, and I'll do air quotes, a heart attack. How old a year was he? after whistleblowing. Yep. He passed away of a heart attack on July the 16th, 1998. 1998. So, yeah, born in 1915. So, 15 from 98. He was a... He was the kind of age where, you know, a, a death of a heart attack wouldn't be too much of a surprise. It wouldn't. He wasn't, he wasn't like a young fit man suddenly dropping no, dead. No, but within a year of publishing this whistleblowing book, I find that suspicious. I, I'd have found it more suspicious if he'd suddenly dropped dead um, while he was trying to find a publisher for his book. And that his book had disappeared. But then we wouldn't know about it, would we? So We wouldn't know that. about it. So um, so if the, if the security services decided to take him out, well, yeah, horse, stable door, bolted, words like that come to mind. Yes. But, um, but it also prevents him from being questioned more deeply about events. Um, hmm. It prevents him from being pressurised into providing proof of his claims, and it's much, much easier to dismiss him as a result of it. Um, so you remember we so, talked about Phil Schneider, yeah, who met a sticky end. 
I mean, the the long gap between completing his military service and writing this book about this aspect of it, it was 34 years, um, I mean, he might have just been a slow writer. He might have, you know, no, it, it not, not, not occurred to him to write. Or maybe, maybe there was some statute of limitations. They said, well, you know, you can't write about this until this much in the future. So 1997, that's, that's 50 years, 50 years exactly after Roswell. Um, so yeah, so okay, we've got, we're putting a 50-year law on this. Um, so maybe he, someone dropped the ball and... and- put an actual 50-year clause in when they should mm. have put it as an indefinite one. Yeah, I think America tends to be a bit freer with that sort of information than, than Britain does. I mean, Britain does have 100-year rules, eternal, you know, <laughs> this must never be known. Um, America, America claims. They, then, they cl- if, if they're keeping it secret, how would you know? Yeah, I mean, obviously there, there are some things they're secretive about, but um, I don't. I, yeah. I remember when I, when I was in the military. Um, if if a soldier asked, soldiers weren't allowed to see their medical records. British soldiers weren't, um, and if a soldier got posted to another unit, I would have to get their medical records and seal them in in a series of envelopes with 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 seals on, so they couldn't be broken. So they they would just take them with them. So when they arrived at their new unit, they'd hand them over to the medical centre. These are my medical records that they're not allowed to see. Um, if an American on the base said, I want to see my medical records, I just had to hand them over. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they're yours, yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's quite a difference. Uh, then I, working in the intelligence, I came across documents which in Britain were classified top secret or secret um, in, in, well, in this case, Canadian um, it was just regarded as restricted. It wasn't, which is a very low. Yeah, you know, the the what's what's for dinner in the canteen today is restricted. Mm. Is that sort mm. of level of information? Yeah. So we've made a big state secret of it that we'll put you in prison for, or, or take send someone send the SAS around to stab you for. <laughs> well, that that's the big question with Corsa. Is that basically mm. what happened to him? Um, so we've reached that time in the show. Neil Philip J. Corso is he telling the truth. Was he delusional? I mean, he, he had a very successful, very distinguished career. He did, yeah. As as a military man, mm. I, I haven't read the book, so I would have to. Um, I mean, we know his claims. It's not. Um, it's, it's not. A secret. We, we've covered his the, the basic claims that he's made. Mm. Yeah, I also do wonder about the you know, reverse engineering alien technology. That we would take something if if we were doing it, that we'd take something fairly benign from a spacecraft and try and turn it into a weapon. That would be. Yeah, you know, it's the military who have the money. That's what. Well, of course, we, we would do with anything, wouldn't we? And, and I can imagine we would we would we would use the technology to create something much cruder than had come from the alien craft. Um, an example, I suppose, would be if a if a a, a B one bomber crashed on a remote Pacific island. The natives there will be able to take one of the very complex weapons and build a basic powder and ball musket out of it. Mm. That that kind of you know the. the They've used, they're using the bits, they're using the parts, and they're using the components, but they're making something much more primitive. You'd have to understand it first, though. 
that's that's the thing or at least mm. understand the the physics mm. surrounding it and that comes back to what i was saying you know like we can understand um integrated circuit chips coming off a, an alien spacecraft because we've got valves we've got something comparable mm. i i can also imagine someone starts tampering with something they don't understand they say well let's see what let's see what's inside this box It'll get the screwdriver out and it goes bang and kills them and someone else looking on says hmm that gives me an idea for a new weapon. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it could well be. Yeah, apparently, you know, um, a lot of people, a lot of people get injured or even killed trying to re- to to take airbags out of cars. Yes, yes. Having they're, worked, ex- they're explosive. Having worked at the Honda production facility where where they make the cars, um, and mm. having had to carry uh, airbags, yeah, very careful how you carry them because mm. they do contain explosives. Um, anyway, I'll yeah. give you my uh, view on Philip Jacob. I think he's absolutely telling the truth. I think the the whole uh, the aliens at war with us. Do you know what? I, uh, so I, I gave my my theories about that earlier in the show. I've actually just thought of another one, which is maybe that's what he was told. Yeah, you know, yeah. it might not be true. But maybe that's what he was told. So anyway, that's I think what is going on there. And yeah, yeah, I think I can see the possibility that he was killed to be silenced as well. Um, well, yeah, I mean, soldiers have to be told who the enemy is. Don't they? They can't, well, for the, yeah, when they say that uh, wars happen when governments tell us um, who the enemy is, revolutions happen when we work it out for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think, listeners? Um, about, about Philip J. Corso, not about revolutions. Um, although, tell us what you think about that as well. Uh, you can contact us via the usual means. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Aliens Explored. You can email us, aliensexplored at gmail.com. And we will be keeping these lines open whilst we are on our, let's call it a sabbatical, shall we, Neil? Let's call it a sabbatical. Yeah, yeah. A- uh, while we're on our sabbatical. So uh, so do contact us. And, of course, our Patreon members, uh, those who've signed up to it, will keep having access to our Patreon Discord server. That will be continuing in perpetuity as well. Um, join us next week, though, when we will have our final topic episode. And uh, we'll be bringing it right up to date with some recent UFOs that have been seen by scientists in the Ukraine. Mm. And that was proposed by Neil. It was, (laughs) yeah. Occasionally I come up with something. Occasionally you do, and that's an absolute cracker that you found there. So uh, really looking forward to getting my teeth into that one. Uh, So, yeah, so join us for that, our penultimate episode and our final topic episode uh that's quite sad yeah let's end on a positive note yeah. what's positive oh, halloween's we've, coming we've, <laughs> we've got we've got jobs we've got jobs <laughs> yay <laughs> we're not gonna starve or freeze in our hovels this winter like half the population uh, of the country oh, politics right we need to end this episode now before we go down that rabbit hole in the meantime 
keep watching all the different podcasts and channels out there dedicated to ufology. And of course, keep watching the skies. Take care for now. Bye-bye. Aliens Explored is a Fiegel Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit aliensexplored.com. <laughs>